0: Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 18? We've come to verse 28. And now, the civil trial, the Gentile trial of Jesus of Nazareth begins. It is the fourth watch of the night, which means from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., this will be the day that Christ is crucified. This night began, as you will recall, back in John 13. John 13 through 16, Jesus expresses and gives his message of love to his disciples and to all whom God the Father has given him, which comes out in John 17. And so in John 17, Christ, the Son, prays to the Father about all who are his, not just the 11, but as he says in his prayer, all who will come to me, whom you give to me. Then they're on their way through the Kidron Valley. They go to the garden. In other gospels, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying and as he prays, a Roman cohort 600 or so soldiers, well-armed. The Bible says they're with weapons. Along with the temple guards, the officers of the temple, who would be the temple guard, armed with clubs, about a couple hundred of them. Almost a thousand thuggish-type men, battle-hardened, don't mind a scrape, even to kill, And in the middle of the night they come to arrest Jesus. Now the point I want to make here is that we would recall what happened. Jesus said to the one who was leading the group apparently the Kiliarch, the the cohort commander whom seek ye? Who do you seek? We seek Jesus of Nazareth. I am was his response. In other words, God is the one you're getting. I am. In the Greek, it's in the masculine, so I've told you before, the pronoun he, I am, he, he is added because it's given in the masculine, but Jesus did not say, I am he. What he said was, I am. Then when he identified himself as the almighty who was in the flesh, you will recall that the whole bunch of them went back and fell down. Jesus knocked them down with holy power. To demonstrate the reality of the situation, Jesus, God in the flesh, was in charge. Nobody, he said earlier in John, no one takes my life, but I will freely give my life. So it didn't matter if there were thousands upon thousands of soldiers. They couldn't take God. But he would willingly go. It was the will of his father. And the arrangement that was made according to the scriptures between father and son was by a holy covenant before the foundation of the world. I'm in Christ. I can't explain the details of it except that I know what the Bible says and the Bible says that I and all who are in Christ were given to Christ by the father before the foundation of the world. Now we don't know who they are. We have to preach to everybody. God knows who they are. He, he will call whom he will. But this arrangement meant that the elect of God belonged to the son and the son has covenanted to do whatever it takes even to the point of redeeming them if they need redeeming which is worked out in time. I'm saying this to all who are in Christ, to say to you that everything that happens here, what we've already seen, should be to you as it is to me, extremely personal. It's as though this whole action was for me because it was. I mean, I am identified as in Christ because of what has developed in my life and the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, the gift of confession, the call of God. John 6, remember, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will never ever cast him out. So then, this is extremely personal. But I not only say it to those who are in Christ, I would say it to anyone here who considers himself presently as not being in Christ, this is a wonderful thing. And if your heart is stirred to come to Christ, it is an act of the Father. It's not your act, it's the act of the Father. He brings you to Christ. Christ saves you. You can't save yourself. It's a powerful and wonderful thought that belongs to eternity. And this is why we go and preach the gospel message around the world to everybody. Because we know that as long as we're here, As long as we're on planet earth preaching the gospel to the nations everywhere, then God is still gathering his own. We don't know who they are. God knows. We don't know who they are. And we're thus commissioned to go everywhere to preach to everybody. The wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, the absolute truth of scripture that can only be revealed by God the Father as he sees fit. But that's not my business. That's his business. My business is is to preach it and to teach it and to declare it. And with my voice, call all who will to come to Christ. I'm looking for the whosoever wills. That's who I'm looking for. God makes them the whosoever wills, but that's not my power. That's God's power. Now, when I look at this time of passion, the passion of Christ, the whole thing is just, it's extraordinarily personal to me. Because I was part of this arrangement. And if you're in Christ, so are you. From before the foundation of the world. It is a marvel of grace. That will keep me busy studying and praising God forever. I will never ever extract. The complete riches of grace. Because God is greater than me, but God has created me such that I can grow in grace, not just now, as Peter says, to grow in grace, not just now, but into the the forever, into the ages of the ages. It's a wonderful thing to think about and to think that I can stand in the presence of God and praise him for who he is and what he's done, knowing that I didn't have anything to do with it. While we would be fussing and and complaining and carrying on, if we thought that some of us were more deserving of grace than others, that doesn't work that way at all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us deserve it. And but for the grace of God, all of mankind would be destroyed. But God has intervened. And in that intervention, the one to whom his own were given comes to redeem them. Because they are sinners. We are sinners. And he would save us. It becomes very personal to me. Every prayer, every step, every action, every humiliation, everything was for me. And I didn't deserve That the Son of God would stand in my place. Thus to pardon me that I might stand today without fear in the face of both death and judgment. Hell has no hold on me, nor does death of the grave. Because Christ went there first ahead of me and conquered it. But on the way, he took all of my sins upon himself. And they were judged in him on the cross. And he carried my sins to that cross, they were buried in a tomb. And then in glorious resurrection power he came out again and I came out with him. In some infinitely glorious day that is frankly beyond my imagination. I will be raised in glory to be with Christ forever. This is all extremely personal to me, as it should be to you. If you're in Christ and if you're not in Christ, I pray to God that he will lift the veil of darkness from your mind and that the light will shine. And that because he arranged it for you in eternity, he will call you to himself today. That's within the power of God. It's not in my power. But I can bring you the good news. And this is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we now, we have moved from the religious trial. They brought him, after they had bound him, they brought him to Anas. Now he was the patriarch of the High priests, remember, we taught him. And his, he had five sons and then a grandson who had become high priests. And they lived in, a, in apartments, in fancy apartments, around in a courtyard. And Christ is being carried to the patriarch, Anos. And we saw that last time. After questioning him, he sent him to Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the acting high priest. This was all at night. The whole trial was illegal. It was a mock trial because it was against Jewish law. First of all, they had no witnesses. They didn't have, it was supposed to be done in daylight, not at night. And it was supposed to be done publicly, not privately. So they had to come back then to Caiaphas another time. And they waited until just as daylight was starting and they had another mock trial. The Sanhedrin was there. And they declared that Christ should be put to death. Of course, they'd been conspiring this for quite some time. So then, they sent him to Pilate at the praetorium. And thus, the Roman trial, the civic trial, the civil trial, begins here where we are. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. Now this is where Pilate would sit in judgment with regard to Roman law. Now it was early. Another gospel tells us it was toward the close of the fourth watch, which would have been somewhere between three a.m. and six a.m. And they entered in, and they entered not into the praetorium, so they would not be defiled. All right, so here the Jews they bring Jesus to the praetorium. To go before Pilate, oh, but they're too good. It's Passover time and they can't defile themselves by going into Gentile quarters. But there's an interesting thing about that. There is no law in the law of Moses that forbade that. This was all made up. If you do a study on it, you'll find out that through the years by their traditional law, which was not the Bible, it was was not the law of Moses, it was just traditional law they continually, especially the elites, the Pharisees and the High Priests all those guys, they continually made law and regulation to separate them more and more from the Gentile people so that, so that the hierarchy of, of the Jewish people could maintain control over the Jewish people. We we spoke last time of how what a what a racket this was between the Roman leaders. And the religious leaders, the high priests, and the money they were making out of this whole thing. So they say, oh, no, we won't go in there. We'll be defiled. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? All right, this is Roman law. He is a Roman judge. He will judge according to Roman law. This is not a religious matter for him. He's not a Jew. He doesn't care about Jewish law. He's only concerned with meeting out Roman justice and making sure that Roman law is carried out. And if there's nothing there that would bring a charge against someone, he will dismiss it. Now, it's interesting. No accusi- Here's the point of the whole message, two points. Number one, Christ... It's at the time of Passover. Christ is the Lamb of God, sinless Lamb of God. Nowhere you can read all of the four Gospels, you can read the whole New Testament. One thing that comes out very clearly, and that is the purity and the holiness and the innocence of Jesus of Nazareth. No one could call him a liar. No one could say that he was not the son of David. No one could deny his miracles. And no one could accuse him of breaking any law. So it boils down to the pride of Jewish leadership in a a human sense. And their ability to manipulate Roman leaders. And I think it all goes back to what we talked about last time, uh, the money deals that they had that could be brought in from Jews all over the world, especially at Passover. So they had that, now we can't go in there. So Pilate comes out to them. What's your accusation? They don't make an accusation. Listen, they just simply try to stumble around and defend themselves for what they're doing. They answered and said to him, if he were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him to you. What kind of an answer is that? Many, many years ago, oh, I don't know, 30 or more years ago, I had a a father in the ministry. I was troubled because I had I had received a request for a letter of recommendation from a former staff member (laughs) that I didn't like. I didn't think he was qualified or capable. And my father in the ministry said, here's what you do. You write a little bit of the history of how you know him, how you've worked together. And then the very end of the letter you say this. I'm sure that when you come to know him as I have come to know him you will think of him as I do. (laughs) God bless you in your work in Christ Dr. Charles Owens. This is kind of what's being said here. What do you mean what did he do wrong? If he hadn't done something wrong we wouldn't be here but there's no accusation. Can you see this? There's no accusation at all. If they had any accusation at all, it would be the accusation of blasphemy. Jesus last time had invited the chief priest to bring in whoever, whatever witnesses he wanted to. He said, you go and ask everybody, anybody, whoever, to come in, anybody that's heard me teach. I've never done anything privately. Everything I've done was public. You bring them in and you ask them these questions. They really, couldn't, they really couldn't charge him with blasphemy because anytime he ever said anything with reference to his deity, he proved the point by performing a miracle that only God could do. If he were not doing evil, we wouldn't even be here with him. So Pilate, and you know, there's probably a little wink wink going on here. You got to What they wanted here, they didn't want a judge. They wanted an executioner. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus dead. And they wanted it done by Roman law. So it continues. Therefore Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, it's not permitted to us to put someone to death. All right, now let me stop here. Pilate knows that they want him dead. But he's done nothing that would cause Roman law to implement the capital punishment on him. So what what Pilate is saying is he hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't broken a Roman law. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I will grant you right now I will grant you permission. And this was, actually, this was actually something they could do by the edict of Caesar. When they had outlying areas and Rome was in charge, they would permit a level of self-government. And so this is what Pilate says, and he had the authority to do this. I'll tell you what, I'll let you take this guy and you can judge him according to your law. Now, according to their law, blasphemy required death by stoning so they would have to stone him to death now they didn't have any problem with that when Stephen was stoned to death they haven't had any problem with that at other points in time to seek to stone somebody to death but why are they so interested in Roman law why are they so interested in, in, in getting the approval of Pilate so that he would be Killed by Roman law and not by Jewish law. Pilate just gave them permission. But now they, re, they, re, they respond with his own law. Well, it's not permitted to us to put someone to death. Although he really did and said they could. So why is all this happening? Well, here it is. I have it in red. That the word of Jesus might be fulfilled which he had spoken Signifying what death he was about to die. All the other so-called male factors of uh, of the Jews, they could be stoned. The woman caught in adultery, of course. Stephen, uh, stone them to death. They had no problem with that. But something has interrupted their plan to kill Jesus. Something is moving them to appeal to Rome and especially Pontius Pilate. And they could appeal to Pilate because, as I said last week, of the special arrangement that existed between the Jewish hierarchy and the Roman leadership of the area. Here is why... The Jews are forcing the issue to become a Roman issue so that what Jesus said would be fulfilled. You have to go back in John 8 and John 12 to see this. But let me tell you, I think you you know, Jesus said, I will be lifted up. And And the Bible says he spoke this to describe what manner of death he would suffer. And then another place he said, If I'm lifted up, I'll draw them into myself. I must be lifted up. I must be lifted up. Now, if he was stoned to death, he would not be lifted up, he would be cast down. Jesus carefully explained much earlier in his ministry that his death would be a death. Of being lifted up. Now that's crucifixion of course. And that's how the Romans would kill him. They would lift him up. What we are to see here is. That this whole thing. Is under the divine supervision. Of none other than the son of God. They don't know he's in charge. Pontius Pilate doesn't know he's in charge. The Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, the high priest and the other high priests, they don't think about it. Even though earlier, remember we we, we repeated what what was in John 10, that Caiaphas had prophesied that one man could die for the people. It was in their law, one man can die for the people. And in that section it said, he didn't say this of his own, but God made him say it. Jesus Christ just earlier, a few hours earlier, with a holy thought, knocked down nearly a thousand battle-hardened tough guys who were armed to the teeth. Just knocked them down. He could have killed them. To underscore the truth, of what he'd said earlier, no man takes my life. I'll give it, but no man takes it. You see, he wasn't forced to die for me. Of his own purpose and will, he died for me. So, the appeal to Pontius Pilate and to Rome and all of the shenanigans that are going on here, that's not gonna stand in his way. He will control the event. He will be lifted up in his death and he will die like a criminal between criminals to take my punishment, to absorb my guilt and my horrors of death and put those away within himself. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin was made to be sin in my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. He is bound and determined to take on my sins so that he can give to me his righteousness and power of resurrection. And he's directing it. That's why I say it's very personal to me. He's doing this for me. I first came up before the foundation of the world. I, I, I couldn't have known that except that the Bible has taught me. I could not have come to Christ dead in trespass and sin, disinterested in anything eternal, not concerned about my soul and eternal life, not thinking of my need for a Savior, thinking that I could do good myself and save myself, until I, come under, until I came under great conviction and he who was dead in trespass and sin was raised up out of that and he who was in the kingdom of darkness was snatched out of it and brought into the kingdom of light. I couldn't have done that myself. It was divine, sovereign grace that brought me out of that and placed me in Christ. And I know that everything that's happening here is happening for me because he agreed to accept me before I ever was, before the world ever was. And that same truth is for you as well if you're in Christ, that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled Which he had spoken, signifying what death he was about to die. You see, the Word of God is active and living and true and sharper than a two edged sword. It slashes this way and it slashes that way, and it is the only thing that can divide the spirit from the soul. In the essence of man. The word of God. Is being worked out. It is being accomplished. The purpose of God will not be stopped. Everything. Works according to the will and purpose of God. And that's why. I can be happy. All things. Work together. You remember that? The Bible doesn't lie. Christ. Is standing in that place for me. But behind all of it is an innocent lamb. Someday in heaven, as the tribulation begins on earth, a strong angel. Holds in his hand a scroll sealed seven times. The question is asked who is worthy to open this scroll written on front and back? The title deed, the terms of forgiveness for humanity, redemption. Who can open that scroll? John said, I wept greatly and loudly because no one was found in heaven, on earth, or under the earth who was worthy to open that scroll. Then there stood up one between the throne and the elders, and they all cried out. The king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb. He is worthy. As an innocent lamb. This is that great lamb. How do they view him mostly in the revelation? The lamb. Why? Why? because he is the only one in all of the history of existence who could sinlessly, purely, and majestically take my sin upon himself and set me free. The lamb, God's sinless lamb. No accusation can't say anything, nothing can be said all the way through, mock trials and all that, they make up this stuff, all of this stuff that's happening, there can be nothing that expresses that he's not innocent. Pilate entered again into the praetorium and he called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? You see, they thought they had him on this one. He would be a, a traitor to the Roman Empire. Jesus answered, do you say this of yourself or did the others say it to you concerning me? Did you come up with this or did somebody plant that in your ear? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Pilate essentially says, I don't know the agenda of the Jews. I hear about their expression, the king of the Jews. Is that you? Obviously, Pilate saw Jesus as no threat to Rome. A penniless carpenter, who every everything he had, it was borrowed. He even was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he didn't need it very long. He gave it back. What have you done? Jesus answered. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of the cosmos. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It's not of the two cosmos. It's not of the cosmos. You wouldn't understand, Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, my attendants would fight that I might not be betrayed to the Jews. Now however my kingdom is not from here. Jesus essentially says I have preached to thousands and thousands of people and there has been more than one attempt to drag me out and make me a king so that Rome could be overthrown. That's not the way my kingdom works. My kingdom is not of this world. If it was you see, here, here, this was sort of a, a veiled, mild, what-if kind of threat. There were, there were about, I, th- I think I'm right, I have to look. Anyway, several million Jews in and around the area who lived there. There were 3, 000, about 3,000 Roman troops stationed in that area. And what Jesus is saying, hey, I haven't tried to stir them up. Thousands and thousands who have come to me and I've healed their sick and raised their dead. They've listened to me preach and teach the Bible and they have been warmed in their hearts. I have raised the dead. I could, I could raise enough dead if I wanted to to make an army. If my kingdom was like that, I'd fight and you'd have no chance. But my kingdom is not from here. Now, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. You have a kingdom, you must be a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Now watch this. For this I have been born. Jesus says two things here. One expresses his humanity. And the other expresses his deity. And we know this because of the voice tense and mood of the Greek verb. I have been born. That's that's in a, a middle voice. Which means that the subject initiates the action and participates in it. Well, okay. He was born of a virgin. Great God Almighty. So as one of the Trinity, he has he has power to initiate the conception within the womb of Mary. And he actively participates in it because He's Jesus who was born from that womb. So so this speaks of his humanity. But then he says, I have come. And for this, I have come into the realm, the age, the cosmos. For this, I have come. Now it's a different different voice, tense, and mood here. It's It's not in the middle anymore. It's in the active So in the active voice, that means that he is the producer of the action and he is the one who will accomplish its results. See, two different voices in the two verbs that are used here. So he speaks both of his humanity and his deity. He could have just said, this is what I was born for. No, I was born for this and I came into the world for this. This is what I came for. To redeem my own. It's out of your power. It's a spiritual kingdom. And I will accomplish what I have produced. That's what he's saying. I'm God. I'm a man, Jesus, standing in front of you. And I am God who has come to accomplish the divine and eternal task of redeeming the elect of God. For this I have come into the age, into the world, that I might bear witness to the truth. Definite article, not an indefinite, not a truth, the truth. Everyone being of the truth hears my voice. That is a dramatic and magnificent statement. If you're not of the truth. Now what is the. Truth? Pilate's going to ask the quote. Well, what is truth? Idiot. That's what the whole world asks. If, the, if somebody cannot answer. The question. What is truth? That person is not of truth. That person has. Has never heard the voice of Christ. Calling. Never heard, not part of it. What is Truth. Here it is. God is the creator of all things by the agency of God the Son. When God made time and space, God, via God the Son, entered into time and space. Within that creation, a spiritual battle. And God has separated good from evil, remember? Light and darkness, at the very beginning of a creation, God saw the light, it was good. Well, that means that darkness is not good. And that was before there was ever day and night. It's a spiritual thing. Light and darkness. Children of light, children of darkness. And thus ensues this battle that rages in heaven and on earth presently. But those who are of the light will come to the light. Those who are of truth will hear his voice. They'll know it. And they will know truth. We spend our lives studying absolute truth. And it causes us to be separate from the world because the world is in darkness. And the way of the world is counterfeit, it's evil, it's not good. And being in Christ, we know that we're in Christ forever. Christ said in John 10, my father has given them to me and no man can take them out of his hand. Truth is that those who are in Christ will do the works of Christ, will believe, declare, and teach the the word of Christ We belong to Christ. Eternal life is ours. Death has no reign over us. We're outside that realm. We're in his kingdom. Everyone, being of the truth, hears my voice. The truth is this all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man is a fallen creation. It isn't in the heart of man to do good, it is in the heart of man to do evil. You don't have to teach your child how to be evil. He's born knowing how to be evil. You have to teach him how to be good. This is truth. Truth that Jesus Christ is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the caller of his own. He is the consummator of all things. He is the judge who allows us, his own, to sit in judgment with him. He will call all things to an end. At the great white throne, he will cast all who are evil into the lake of fire, having brought them up out of hades, torment, and then in eternal separation, outer darkness from the glorious light of the new heaven and the new earth. There we live forever with him. See, it doesn't matter if you believe that or not. Well, it does. But if you don't believe it, you won't be dead that long until you say, "Uh uh-oh. This is truth. And it's absolute truth to all of those who hear his voice, who are called, who have come to him. And this is precious. This is life for us. And so we live our lives of prayer Bible study and separation from the world. Now we walk around in human bodies and we have our problems. But we're in Christ who is guaranteed to us eternal life. Take care of us, to discipline us when we need it and to finally bring us home into glory. That is truth. The Romans laughed at it. The Jewish hierarchy scoffed at it. But Christ, for me, proved it by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Having said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, Not guilty. Not guilty. Never an accusation, never a charge, never a crime. Nothing could be brought against Jesus. But he's doing all of this for me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. According to God's gracious word, if we admit that we're sinners and believe in Jesus, call on him to save us. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is how we handle our invitation here. Just a moment, we'll pray our benediction. An and as you exit the doors, go into the hallway, you'll find a couple of rooms where deacons and their wives are standing ready to receive you. Is God calling you into Christ? They'll pray with you. Would you like to become, if you're a Christian, would you like to be a part of Shiloh and help us to do what we are trying to do? They'll take care of all the details of church membership if that's what you want. So let's stand and we'll be dismissed from here in a word of prayer.